I'm Josh Porter, and this is the Van City Church Podcast. The following teaching is part two in our annual Advent series, The Long Winter Breaks, 2021. This Christmas season, just a few days ago actually, a friend of mine was leaving a Fred Meyer in Portland, and she witnessed firsthand the Christmas paradox as the shoppers poured into and out of the grocery store. They all passed the Salvation Army bell ringer that stands outside collecting donations throughout the season. Now, if you didn't know, the Salvation Army uses the money collected in those red kettles year-round, and they use it to provide food for the hungry, disaster relief, uh, assistance for the disabled, outreach to the elderly or the ill, shelter and necessities for the homeless, and opportunities for underprivileged children. They've been at it quite a long time. The Salvation Army, also, if you didn't know, is famously a Christian organization, which in these particularly volatile political times and in a place like Portland or the Portland metro area, uh, that's not always the most welcome worldview, despite innumerable virtue-signaling lawn, lawn signs promising that all religions are welcome. And so, as this friend of mine left Fred Meyer, she watched in disbelief as one man, one shopper, approached an elderly bell ringer, leaned in, and said, let me ask you a question. What is the Salvation's Army, what is the Salvation Army's position on gay rights? And flustered, the volunteer uh, mumbled in confusion, the confronter sort of stepped away, seemed to reconsider, then returned to the scene, this time stepping right into the face of the bell ringer and snarling, I know what you're doing, your organization is evil. If you continue to do this, you are doing evil. Here at Christmas, as shoppers came and went as an old man volunteered his time to collect money for the poor. Another man, likely bent by pain and anger, condemned him for it. The warm, beautiful generosity of Christmas and the dark, broken hatred of mankind in one place at Christmas time, provoked, in a sense, by the season. Christmas highlights the paradox nestled within so many of us, within me, for sure. Like all people, evil bothers me. The brokenness of the world disrupts the comfortable bubble of my own narrow paradigm, and I don't like tragedy or sin or suffering, but as long as I can remember, I've always wanted to understand them. A fool's errand that hasn't stopped me from thinking deeply about dark corners of the human experience that many people would rather ignore. But Advent, down throughout church history has been a time to confront the darkness. Advent begins in the dark. For centuries, disciples of Jesus across all kinds of denominations and traditions have observed Advent by staring deep into the heart of darkness and evil. Not in service to some morbid curiosity or a cruel penance, but that we might, for a season, allow the weight of our broken world to settle over us, that we might be truly scandalized and brokenhearted by the incomprehensible goodness of a God who chose to come to us in the vulnerability of human infancy in the utter darkness of evil. 
and who will come again in the power of judgment and the renewal of all things. So, staring into darkness, this should be a breeze for me, but I've loved Christmas all my life, everything about it. I find it nearly impossible to avoid the joy of the season. My wife Abby and I have always made a huge deal out of Christmas long before we had kids. And uh, all these years later, with three small kids, the season is so magical, I can scarcely overstate how much it means to me. And every year, I get choked up by all the same things. I have a lump in my throat when I read the words of Scrooge's nephew when he visits his old uncle's counting house on Christmas Eve and says, I've always thought of Christmas time as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time, the only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they really were fellow passengers to the grave and not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. Or, and this one gets me even more, when Bob Cratchit says of his son Tim, somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much and thinks the strangest things you ever heard. He told me coming home that he hoped the people saw him in the church because he was a cripple and it might be pleasant to them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. I've read these passages at several Christmas gatherings at Van City over the years, And they're not wrong. There is and should be a unique spirit of radical self-sacrificial generosity that settles over many of us during the sacred season of Christmas when our hearts try and fail to comprehend the generosity of God in the gift of His Son, Jesus. But the message of Advent is not in the gift apart from its terrible cost, but contextualized by it. It is in coming to terms with just how bad things are that we may begin to grasp just how incredible it is to be saved. My problem is in my sentimentalizing a nativity bedtime story, while often neglecting to reach forward into the future for the other side of Advent that changes all of life, long after the carols go silent and the wrapping is recycled and the lights and ornaments go back in the garage Pastor and theologian Fleming Rutledge argues that, of all people, John the Baptist is one of the central figures of Advent. Far from images of sweet baby Jesus and cute, cuddly livestock, John the Baptist talked about what I would call the Christmas acts. He said that when the king finally came, he would come with the power and the glory of judgment, the acts he said, is already at the root of the tree. And if the tree does not bear fruit, then it is coming down. John the Baptist epitomizes Advent because his great life's work was to prepare the way for the arrival or the advent of the Messiah. And he did. Advent was John's life work. A sweet, vulnerable baby Jesus born to poor teenagers is heartwarming at Christmas time, and for good reason. How could the all-powerful creator God so empty himself as to become something so helpless? It's incredible. It's beautiful. And though John the Baptist prepares the way for a man who would turn out to be an obscure peasant stonemason turned self-taught rabbi, John doesn't sound like a man who's introducing a nobody 
an obscure figure. He sounds like a doom prophet in bold declaration of a coming king, a king whose kingdom will never end, burdened with glorious purpose. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Those are the words of John the Baptist, the messenger of Advent. I baptize you with fire, or I baptize you with water for repentance, John said, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Considering this, Fleming Rutledge writes, The characteristic liturgical petition of Advent is Maranatha, which means, Come, Lord Jesus. It is certainly not a prayer for Jesus to come again as a helpless baby. It is the longing cry of God's people for Him to return in power and glory when, and I quote, every knee will bow and every tongue that Jesus Christ, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Advent picture of Jesus is not just the incredible paradox of the all-powerful God incarnated as a powerless baby but also of a coming king whose reappearing will leave no doubt amongst all people on earth, Jesus is the king and he is the Lord. Acknowledging the terrifying power of this image, she goes on to make a crucial point. The image of Jesus as the cosmic judge who will ultimately come again to put an end to all sin and wickedness forever is not so frightening to the poor and oppressed of the earth as it is to those who have a lot to lose. In the comfortable warmth of my family home, wreathed with green garlands and spiraling white lights, I might spend a moment or two turning over a few Christmas generosity projects that will certainly make me feel very good. I've got the Compassion International Christmas catalog, and I can buy school supplies and a goat for children in Kenya. Or maybe, I think to myself, I will leave a very big tip. For someone, Or maybe I will put a large bill in the shiny red bucket of a bell ringer. And these things for me will be mostly painless. Numbers change in my bank account, the theoretical currency of a digital age. It's not really there, I don't think. It's just some you know, algorithm changes or something like that. Maybe I'll spend a few minutes clicking through a form. Maybe I'll have to pause for a moment to talk to a bell ringer. And really, I can do all of that with the idea of judgment, salvation at hand, almost entirely lost on me. The encroaching glory of judgment and redemption so precious to the early Christians, out of sight and out of mind, in a season meant for waiting and remembering. The earliest disciples, the ones who saw Jesus raised to life, who beheld the miracles and gave themselves over to death for His sake, they talked about Jesus' arrival, His reappearing, as something that was imminent Two millennia ago, they talked about it as if it was something imminent. And maybe they believed it would be any minute, or maybe they didn't care if it took thousands of years. They knew it was coming one way or another, and that knowledge shaped their lives. Today, the renewal of all things, thousands of years later from that first promise, seems almost hypothetical. Really, I have things that I would like to do, and I would prefer the time and space to get them done, and I think of this as my window to do them. I hear, the Word became flesh, as Katie just read, and I think, well, that's very nice. 
But if your life has been a prison, then knowing someone is coming to rescue you is everything. What hope is there then for those of us who are quite comfortable? What hope is there that we can be changed by Advent this Christmas season? Again, Rutledge writes this, Preparing the way for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is not going to be easy for you and me. It means laying ourselves open to God's great leveling operation. It means relinquishing our most cherished strategies and defenses. It means living every day in anticipation of God's work of cutting and filling. It means being ready at all times to relinquish one's own special privileges in the world on behalf of those who might be very different from oneself. I don't need to tell you how hard this is for us. We don't like admitting that we need radical surgery. The New Testament for this word, or the New Testament word for this is repentance. It doesn't just mean being sorry, it means a change of life. Advent is a time to stare down the ugliness of a broken world, to learn what it means to follow in the example of our teacher and king by stepping into that broken story as a light in the darkness. And the true beauty of Christmas is that though the timeless story of a poor teenage virgin so moves us that she brought forth the king of the universe in obscurity, in the squalor of poverty, that story does not exist in a vacuum, that this teenage girl who fanned flies away from the crying, blood-streaked face of the Word made flesh, that she cradled and nursed the cosmic judge who will come to crush the devil, destroy evil, and make everything new, that a poor teenager nursed the God of the universe, and us... We sit in the warm, comfortable haze of the in-between, so far from that night amongst the livestock and the manure and the sacred manger that all of it has become a sentimental lawn decoration, so far from the New Testament pleas for coming salvation, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, that they often fail to penetrate the protective dome of our privacy and our privilege. And yet, that desperate cry of Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, continues to ring out through the ages like Christmas bells in this dark, sacred season of waiting. As it was in the New Testament, the kingdom of God is at hand. Your redemption is drawing near, or salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. For the comfortable, like me, judgment can terrify but for the suffering or the oppressed or the weary, for those anxious for the renewal of all things, the Christmas axe at the root of the tree cannot swing soon enough. Bring down the monolithic redwoods of injustice and oppression, Lord. Topple the long-standing towers of evil and suffering and sin. Swing the Christmas axe, King Jesus. Because the God willing to come to us in the manger is the God worthy to return to us in power, in judgment, and in redemption. 
when John the Baptist was born, his father, Zechariah, erupted in this beautiful theological poetry. It happens a lot in the scriptures. It's kind of like a Disney movie. They just suddenly burst out into song. And it's right there on the page. They don't tell you that they took time to make it up. I have a lot of questions about it. Even after seminary, no one answered those questions. Maybe I didn't ask enough. I don't know. But he erupts into spontaneous, apparently, <laughs> theological poetry. And Luke tells us he was filled with the Holy Spirit as he... Uh, crafted this beautiful prose. He says, and you, my child, speaking of his son John, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to prepare for his advent, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Listen to this, because of the tender mercy of our God. From what we can tell, Zechariah, like just about everybody, had no idea the kind of Messiah Jesus would turn out to be. And yet, in his ancient Jewish understanding of the anointed one, the Messiah who comes to judge the father of the prophet who proclaimed the axe at the root of the tree, saw in God not some kind of fearsome, vengeful, terrifying wrath, but the forgiveness of sins through the tender mercy of God, just as the holy infant was in the famous lyrics, tender and mild, so is the great love of the coming king who wields the Christmas axe. And for those of us in the in-between, we can be changed by the past reality of God in the manger just as we can learn to live informed by the coming reality of his future and glorious reappearing more than a temporary stir of comfortable generosity at Christmas, but an entire life turned upside down because of what happened in Bethlehem and what will happen when the king returns. In the words of the old carol, born a king on Bethlehem's plain, gold I bring to crown him again, king forever, ceasing never, over us all to reign. Know that his kingship would birth a change of life brought forth, not from fear of a terrifying judge, but by the tender mercy of God. My family has this tradition. We have a little Advent journal. And every year on each of the four Sundays of Advent, we'll do it in a couple hours at home. We gather around this little book that I've cobbled together with scriptures and sayings. And each of us Every week answers questions about this season of waiting by writing thoughts and drawing pictures before we light each candle together as a family. And it amazes me that unlike my wife Abby and I, who grew up with all kinds of wacky theology with the left behind sort of outlook on the world, our kids anxiously await the return of Jesus. When they answer questions about the brokenness of the world, last week our daughter Isla, who's five, she drew you know, planet Earth with kind of a crack in it, and Jesus was looking out on the earth with tears in his eyes. And when she drew, um, what will it be like when one of the prompts that I'd written was, what do you think it will be like when Jesus makes the world better? And she drew a familiar picture. It was her and dogs. You know, that's her thing. And it was just, it looked like something beautiful. It wasn't like a crazy cloud-populated city with harps and angel wings. Um, their paradigm for the renewal of all things, is that the sad and broken things in the world will be no more. They don't call it the tribulation or eschaton or Armageddon. They call it, and I quote, when Jesus makes the world all better. The tender mercy 
of a God so gracious and beautiful that he would come to us in the manger is the very God whose tender mercy will renew all things. And so with thousands of years of disciples of Jesus, we join them in saying, Amen, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. Would you pray with me as we invite God's Spirit to prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus? Thanks for listening to Van City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancity.church. You can support Van City financially at vancity.church/give.